Praise for your great apostle, so eager and so bold, thrice falling, yet repentant, thrice charged to feed your fold. Lord, make your pastors faithful to guard your flock from harm and hold them when they waver with your almighty arm. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're going to take a look at the Confession of St. Peter. The church has set aside January 18 for the special observance of this minor festival, the Confession of St. Peter, January 18. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks once again for tuning in. Pastor, historically, I could find very, very little with regard to how and why the church set aside January 18 for this particular observance. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, I think we have to understand the process of history uh, as how things got to us. And so there might have been a reason a long time ago, uh, and perhaps it even has to do with a remembrance of the actual date that this event happened. We don't know that for sure. Um, And yet uh, throughout history, this is the time of the year in the church that it's been celebrated. And I think that it's probably a good timing as far as it falls in the season of Epiphany, in which the old purpose of Epiphany is to reveal the reality of who Jesus is, both as God and as man. And uh, the confession of St. Peter, when he says to the man Jesus Christ, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I think that is a bold confession of the season of Epiphany. So whatever reason it ended up there, it is a good timing for it in the big picture. And uh, I think I think that's very, very well said. Uh, we have a lot of minor festivals that fall during the month of January and particularly in the season of Epiphany. And the the little historical data that I could find uh, says that this, uh, this particular uh, minor festival seems to have originated in the Episcopal or Anglican Church. And maybe to make a contrast between... Um, where the authority in the church truly is. And when we get a look at our uh, gospel reading here in just a moment, I think we'll see that uh, this this particular festival, the commemoration or the confession of St. Peter, is uh, a great minor festival to observe for Lutherans. Uh, it, it does get that revelation of who Jesus is, that epiphany, and uh, it's a great, great thing for us to be reminded, and that our authority is not in a particular pastor or synodical president or the Purple Palace in St. Louis, but Christ and his word. Pastor, the appointed gospel reading is Mark eight twenty-seven through 9 verse 1. Mark 8, 27 through 9 verse 1. Do you want to share those words? Yeah. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God and after it has come with power. Okay, we've got a lot here in this gospel reading appointed for the confession of St. Peter, Mark eight twenty-seven through 9, verse 1. I don't want to get bogged down on the uh, eisegetical part of uh, this, Pastor, but uh, where are we at here in the gospel of Mark, and uh, is it significant that Jesus, with his disciples, went on to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Well, um, in the Gospel of Mark, maybe we'll get there in a second, geographically speaking, this is a a rather important place, Caesarea Philippi. Um, We know it as Caesarea Philippi because that's the way it's referred to in the Scriptures. The Roman world knew it as Panias, uh, or today it's called Banias with a B. Uh, And the reason it was called Panias is because there at Caesarea Philippi was a spring, and this spring kind of flowed out and uh, even flows into the Jordan River. This spring... Uh, is thought to be the place where the Greek and Roman god Pan would go out to play. And you remember he's kind of a... a figure of debauchery, is that the right way to say it, in yes, the, uh, yes. uh, the Greek and Roman pantheon. And so it's not a Jewish type of city. It is very much a, uh, a Greek and Roman city, and it's in fact then also, uh, in that regard, the place where there is a palace uh, that is the palate of Herod Agrippa, uh, and, uh, and so it is a center of power as well. And so we have this Greek worship, Roman worship that's going on there, and it's interesting then that Jesus and his disciples are there, and that in the face of these uh, pagan gods, which would have been worship there. Uh, Peter is confessing the reality of the real God, Jesus. But then at the same time, in this location where this uh, this Greek and Roman God is worshipped, Jesus then also speaks when, when Peter would not want Christ to go to the cross, he would call him Satan and place him in the same um, field with all these Greek and Roman gods that are worshipped in that place. So I think that is a uh, a significant thing, maybe is the way to say it. Um, as far as in the um, 
the Gospel of Mark. You know, we're, we're a little ways in here to uh, Mark chapter 8, um, and uh, it comes then a little while after uh, the feeding of the, uh, the great multitude of people, and so that kind of gives it a little bit of a... a, a Location That makes sense because those feedings took place in the Sea of Galilee, and Caesarea Philippi would be north of that, further up the Jordan River. It, it seems to me that, in the, especially in the Gospel of Mark, we have, a, we have a major event that is recorded for us in Mark in great detail. No place else in Scripture, but uh, the account of the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, it's, it's certainly recorded other places in Scripture, but in greater detail in Mark. And then after that, Uh, accounting is given, we have Jesus going out and doing what Jesus is supposed to do. He's healing the sick. He's feeding the 5,000. He's teaching the crowds. He's feeding the 4,000. He's performing all kinds of miracles testifying to the fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is who he is supposed to be or claims to be. And then we have this uh, confession of St. Peter toward the end of uh, chapter 8 and uh, this first couple of verses in chapter 9, and then right after our account, our uh, gospel reading for today, we have the transfiguration. Yes. And I think, uh, I think that is, uh, the Holy Spirit did a masterful job, imagine that, of weaving this together so that we have between the transfiguration of Jesus and the beheading of John the Baptist, we have all these things testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And am, I, am I far-fetched it. on that observation? Well, and they understand it before that reality leaks out in the transfiguration. And that's a key because for us, the same thing is true. It's not that we see Jesus just because he appears to us in thunderclaps and lightning or, uh, you know, whatever other very, very frightening things there are. Uh, rather, we see Thunderbolts him... Thunderbolts and lightning, I wondered if very, you picked very up on frightening. That. Yeah. Um, he is made known in his word to us, and that's a lot of what's going along with these healings and things that he's doing. We have the, uh, the great question here very early on in our text, where Jesus says, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Jesus knows all things. Jesus knows what the people are saying about him. He can read their minds and their thoughts. So why does he ask the disciples this question, Pastor? He's obviously got something bigger in mind. Well, um, he's giving them the opportunity to confess, and and God oftentimes does this. Um, And it's not so much for his benefit. He does know all things, but it's for our benefit. The opportunity to speak the truth is a good thing for us, and we need to probably do more of it in our world here today. And uh, he speaks the truth, and uh, that uh, strengthens the entire group of the disciples and apostles together who are able to speak the truth with him then as well. He also calls out falsehood uh, publicly as well, which is good for the church as well. And we'll see that then later towards the end of this particular scripture lesson. And so that's just a reality of the church. It's good for us to speak the truth. It benefits us. And that's the way that people are made Christian as well. It's interesting that Jesus starts out with kind of a Gallup poll kind of a question. 
who do the people say that I am? He's like he's taking a survey, and uh, he wants to gather all this information. The disciples are going to recite all this information to him, and then he drives it home that this is more than just sheer information. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ. Is that the answer that Jesus was fishing for? It is. It's the truth. And uh, that is what then opens up Christ to tell them what the Christ's job is, uh, to go to the cross, to bleed and to die and to be raised again on the third day. Uh, the crazy talk that Peter didn't like, uh, the, the message of Christ crucified. Uh, and that's the thing that kind of opens the door. Now Jesus is able to speak plainly to them. Uh, I think it's an important thing for them to realize that he's the Christ um, through his other preaching and through the miracles that he's doing, rather than Jesus just coming and saying, yeah, I'm the one. You know, that's what Joseph Smith did. Well, what's what's the way that we know it's true? We have no way of knowing it's true. Joseph Smith, you have to either take his word or disbelieve it, which you should disbelieve it. Same with Muhammad, right? Um, he, he doesn't have any evidence to back that up, and yet Christ doesn't tell them uh, the evidence is clear, and then they confess. When we come back, we're going to continue our look at the gospel reading for the Confession of St. Peter, Mark eight twenty-seven to 9, verse 1. Don't change that dial. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, the Confession of St. Peter. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we are looking at the Confession of St. Peter, observed throughout the church on January 18. In our first segment, we introduced the gospel reading, Mark eight twenty-seven through 9, verse 1. I'm Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to continue our look at the gospel reading for the Confession of St. Peter. Pastor, when uh, Jesus asked the uh, survey question, the Gallup poll question, who did the people say that I am? And the disciples responded, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Um, what's good and what's bad about what the people were saying about Jesus? Well, um, some of it's good to say, you know, perhaps you're Elijah. That's a confession that they understood the scriptures, that Elijah would come before the Christ to prepare the way. Is of course, not good because it's confusion. Uh, John the Baptist fulfills that role. Uh, when they say perhaps one of the prophets, that's good because they believe that he's bringing them a message directly from God. And in a sense, Jesus is a prophet, uh, but he's not just a prophet. He is really the prophet, the prophet prophesied by Moses who would come after 
after him uh, to whom the people should listen. Uh, the confession that he's perhaps John the Baptist is one that's a little fishy there. Um, it's perhaps an understanding that uh, John was an important figure, uh, perhaps even an understanding that he's the fulfillment of Elijah, but uh, as we know, John the Baptist had been uh, beheaded um, not long before this in um, in uh, the, the city Oh, the name of it just uh, escaped my, my lips here. They just did some excavations and found the spot where Herod would have been sitting when he gave the order uh, to um, uh, have John the Baptist executed. But John's executed, uh, and so it's perhaps a little confusing because it would be saying that he rose from the dead uh, and is now preaching again, and that's what Christ, of course, is going to do. So so they have some, some basic understanding, but the, the teachings are muddled. And Jesus is trying to drive home the fact that he is the Christ. They, he wants them to get the identity correct, but then even more so. He wants them to understand what it means. Uh, a good uh, Lutheran question, what does this mean, Vasistas? What it means that Jesus is the Christ. In uh, you know, we have this whole mark and secret thing going on here. Who do you say that I am? Verse 2 or verse, um, uh, I can't read the tiny little print here. Must be verse 29. Um, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. That's the confession of St. Peter right there. He boldly confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, then it says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, before we move on to verse 31, where Jesus begins to explain what it means that he is the Christ, Pastor, a couple of words on this, uh, Jesus charged them to tell no one. What, what's, uh, what's happening here? Well, um, what Jesus is doing is um, he's, his main purpose for coming is to go to the cross and bleed and die at the appropriate time for the forgiveness of sins, uh, and uh, God's plan to bring that about is very particular and strict, and so uh, he's not trying to accelerate things or to um, uh, even bring it about in the wrong way. It needs to happen at the right time in the right way, and he's doing the things necessary to bring that about. I think, um, you know, the idea of the mark and secret's kind of a modern idea that's a little bit... Uh, I don't know, uh, the, but that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to bring it about the right way at the right time. And, you know, when we, we make reference to this uh, so-called Mark and secret, there are several places in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Uh, my time is not right. Jesus is not playing psychological mind games. Right. Uh, you know, when, the, uh, when King Herod gave the order to kill the babies in uh, Bethlehem, uh, if that was the time for Jesus to die, well, then that would have been the time for Jesus to die. But it wasn't his time yet, and so there was the flight to Egypt. I think we can put this in that same category. Yeah. We don't have to get hung up over it. We certainly don't need to write volumes and volumes of books and spend hours and hours in our seminaries talking about this so-called mark and secret. Right. It just the time's not right yet. And, and that's the, the bottom line, and that's Eight. all I meant. Amen. Okay. Amen. We're, we're in 100% agreement there. Okay. So, starting in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8, and he began to teach them. Um, Pastor, can you summarize the teaching now that Jesus gives? And we've already talked about this uh, already, but uh, can you summarize Jesus' explicit teaching 
on what it means that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Well, now he's going to, uh, in his most clear form, uh, tell them exactly why he's come, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, they're going to beat the snot out of him, they're going to nail him to a cross, and he's going to die. And then he even gets a little further and says, not only am I going to die, but I'm also going to rise for the dead. And that's the way that all sin is going to be paid for. And I love the way that Mark says it here. He said this plainly. In other words, uh, here's where Jesus is directly telling them exactly what's going to happen in Holy Week uh, when he goes to Jerusalem, and they don't like it. They don't like bloody dying Jesus. They don't like this whole idea. He uh, he's not speaking in a parable. He's not speaking in metaphor or hyperbole. Uh, this is this is as plain as you can get. And uh, I agree that first line in verse thirty-two. And he said this plainly, so nobody could miss it. Uh, Peter didn't miss it. No. Uh, Peter heard it very very clearly, and Peter didn't like what Jesus said. Um, Peter, uh, you know, bold, impetuous Peter. Uh, Peter's a real jerk here because the student is now going to correct or even chastise the teacher. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Uh, this is some pretty serious stuff going on here, Pastor. How would you, uh, how would you describe... Uh, Peter's attitude and then Jesus' attitude back at Peter. Well, Peter's attitude is kind of like a modern evangelical Christian attitude about Jesus. They don't want Jesus to have to go to the cross. They don't want Jesus to have to die. They want all the moral teaching. They want all the moral, um, you know, pietistic sort of things. They want the good feeling and all that. And uh, a man beaten uh, and dying on a cross is not that. And so Peter wants a Jesus that's sanitary and that's clean without the cross, and that's what he starts to tell Jesus. No, you, this isn't what's going to happen. You're going to become a king and a ruler. You're going to rule in my heart. Everything's going to be hunky-dory and happy. And uh, Jesus calls that out exactly for what it is. It's Satan that doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross because that way— uh, Satan's mind, at least, he wins and God loses. And um, our sins condemn us. So um, Jesus calls him out on that and says the truth. You know, this idea is from Satan. And we need to be more bold about that in our world today to those Christians who don't talk about Jesus on the cross, who don't preach Christ crucified. Um, that is from Satan. If you don't bring the cross into sin, uh, then you're not actually teaching a Christian message. I think that's one of the beauties of the liturgical church here that most Lutherans follow, because before we get to the season of Easter, we have a season of Lent and uh, even a season of pre-Lent to focus us on the main teaching of Scripture, which is justification, and the way that that justification is brought about is through a suffering servant Savior. If you do not have the cross and the passion of Christ, you do not have a Christ. If you do not have a cross and the passion of Christ, his bloody death on Calvary's cross, you do not have a Savior, and you're still stuck in your, stuck in your sins. Uh, Pastor, our, our time is waning here, and there's so much left in this text. Um, Jesus, in uh, toward the end of chapter 8, 
He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Uh, what kind of a word play are we talking about here? Uh, how am I to lose my life in order to save it? Is this talking about some self-chosen works or self-chosen martyrdom? No, uh, martyrdom can never be self-chosen, but of course it is uh, a possibility of what might happen to you if you are a Christian. Um, and, uh, you know, we might be on the cusp of that happening again before we know it. Um, and he's he's preaching a, a sermon here that's uh, good for these disciples to hear as well as for the church to hear. Uh, out of the 12 disciples, um, and I'm talking the 12 then, including Matthias, uh, who comes later, um, 11 of those 12 are going to be martyred. And only John uh, is the one who's going to die from a natural cause just because his martyrdom didn't succeed in killing him. Um, and, and so this is the reality. You need to be willing to give up your life for Christ, not that that action will save you, but to believe that he has already saved you and that your life um, doesn't have an end by natural means here in this world uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, if you get killed or if, if you die, that that's not actually your end. Your grave is not your final resting place, but in the end, Christ will raise your body from the dead uh, so you can live and reign with him and his kingdom forever. And that's, what's, that's what your hope and faith is. And so you need to be willing to let that be your hope and faith, uh, whatever events might happen in your life. I agree with that 100%. Could it also mean, Pastor, that a Christian is called to lead a life of repentance where we die daily to our sin and lose and leave behind the things of this world that we so tightly cling to and rise forth every day a new creature, a new creation formed and shaped in Christ Jesus? I don't know that those are different. Um, I, I think that's the reality, is that if you actually value what God's promise is, that um, uh, this life, though it might appear to end, is not actually over because you'll get to live forever in Jesus, that kind of sets the stage for then how you actually live your life. Uh, it changes the value of everything. Gold and silver that will be destroyed on the last day in fire is not quite so valuable a thing. Um, you know, uh, we could go through all the different things of this world in that way. The thing that actually then matters is Christ and his word. And uh, if that's the thing that's going to keep you alive forever, that suddenly is the most valuable thing. And you'd give up anything else to hear that, even your life itself. That is a beautifully said, Pastor. We're not talking about two different things, but we're talking about a natural flowing. If you know the identity of Christ and believe it, that will change and form and shape our Christian identity and our Christian piety, even to the point where we can be bold and courageous and not be ashamed of Christ and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. We'll have an opportunity to talk more about that, how it plays out in our other readings when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. We're parking the car at the Confession of St. Peter. January 18. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at the Confession of St. Peter. January 18 is the day that the church has set aside for this minor festival. In our first two segments, we looked at the gospel reading, Mark 8, 27 through 9, verse 1. And now in our third segment, we want to take a look at Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. I, I have a feeling this is going to have something to do with Peter, since we're looking at the confession of St. Peter. I'm Pastor Poppy, along with me is Pastor Moline today, and Pastor, uh, would you, uh, I, I know that the uh, Acts of the Apostles is one of your favorite books to study, uh, would you share those words for our hearers? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has this man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, uh, we have an amazing account here. We have um, another confession of St. Peter with regard to the identity, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Pastor, uh, Acts 4 verse 12 is, is one of the uh, great Bible passages, uh, talks about the exclusivity of Christianity, the scandal of particularity. Uh, the only way you can get to heaven is through Christ. Um, before we get into to these six verses, five, six verses here in Acts 4, can you give us a, a little bit of a narrative? What has happened in the book of Acts to get us to this point? Yeah, uh, the book of Acts is great because the book of Acts is all about how God continues to work to uh, build the church and to create it. Uh, and so this is early on in the um, the book of Acts where, um, you know, it's not long after Pentecost where they start to preach and proclaim boldly. It's just a chapter or two later. And what happens is uh, Peter and John go up into the temple to pray uh, for the afternoon uh, prayers, and a lame man is being carried in uh, who normally was laid at the gate to the temple to beg. And Peter and John see him, and Peter stops and looks right at him and says, um, you know, I don't have any gold or, or money or things like that to give you, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks and begins not just walking, but leaping and jumping and celebrating and rejoicing that he's able to do these things. And uh, as a result, Peter and John are brought before the council to say, you know, how in the world did you do this? And I love this because Peter doesn't uh, bat an eye. He's not shy. He says it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he even gets things in the right order here. Whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. And so we have a sermon that he's kind of preaching with law and gospel. Uh, he's very Lutheran in the way that he does it as well. Um, and uh, it's just tremendous. 
this uh, healing was kind of a pretext because they weren't really upset about the healing. They were upset about the preaching of Jesus. Earlier on in Acts 4, I just, uh, I love this, in uh, Acts 4 verse 3, they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them into custody until the next day. Why? Look at verse 1 and 2. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they are ticked off, not so much about this healing, but they're ticked off that the the resurrection of the dead, uh, a, a moot point for them, is now being proclaimed in and through Jesus Christ. Why is that an important detail, Pastor, with regard to the resurrection of Jesus? Well, um, it's important because these folks uh, up at the top, Caiaphas and Annas and, uh, you know, John and Alexander, who are going to be the ones examining them, they already know the reality of the resurrection because their own soldiers have reported it to them, right? You know, uh, the stone opened up, Jesus is alive, and, uh, you know, they've told these people to lie and hide this fact. And uh, the resurrection of the dead is the center part of all the Christian preaching and teaching. The resurrection of the dead is the key. It's what we preach at funerals. Uh, It's really, really important. They know it, but they're trying to hide it and cover it up and prevent it from going out. And in a sense, then, they are doing the same thing here that Peter did uh, back in our gospel lesson at Caesarea Philippi. They're trying to deny the crucifixion and the resurrection, and we mentioned then that any time you do that and you don't mention the crucifixion and the resurrection, you're really teaching from Satan in that way. The uh, little sermon here that Jesus ge- or that Peter gives regarding Jesus is uh, amazing. You already talked about getting the order right with regard to the crucifixion and resurrection. In verse 11 of Acts chapter 4, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What, what is this... Uh, cornerstone rejection uh, stone the builders rejected thing what what is this talk and uh, it sounds kind of familiar yeah uh, it is in fact uh, quoting Jesus himself it's taking his words that he taught for example in Matthew chapter 21 in Mark chapter 12 in Luke chapter 20 uh, it's taking those teachings that Jesus himself taught the Apostles and now you see the Apostles passing that on. And it's great because they even speak this way in their own writings. What I have received, I now pass on to you. That's exactly what they're doing here in Acts chapter 4. So you tell me that uh, Peter didn't have an original thought. All he did was mimic and puppet the words of Jesus? Uh, he preached Christ crucified, and that's what he stuck to, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's that's really a good lesson for every preacher and teacher, maybe even every parent and Sunday school teacher as well, uh, we don't need to be clever and witty and come up with uh, original thoughts and original sayings. We same say. That's what the word confession means. We same say the truth that has been handed on to us by the Holy Spirit through 
the prophets, the patriarchs, through Christ himself. And I think that's a, that's a really, really important point to drive home when we are celebrating the confession of Peter. We're not celebrating Peter the man. We're celebrating the words that came out of the mouth of Peter. And that's the key, and that's the difference between us and, say, example, the, um, the Roman Catholic Church, which teaches the church is built upon the man Peter and all those who came after him, uh, and that's why they have the office of the papacy today. It's actually uh, ironic because Peter is never ashamed to actually preach Christ and him crucified and to let Christ be king and lord uh, and uh, him just a humble servant. I say that, you know, he's a sinful person, of course, and, and did have his moments, but that's the same thing we ought to do today. And uh, everything else with regard to any of these controversies about, you know, is Peter the first pope and all, it's all smokescreen. It's all smokescreen to divert our attention away from the death and resurrection of Jesus for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Pastor, uh, Christians love Acts 4, verse 12. Yeah, they do. Non-Christians despise Acts 4, verse 12. And let me just read those words, and I want you to uh, respond to that statement that I just made. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. I think uh, key is by which we must be saved. It's the way it has to happen. There's no other opportunity for your salvation. You can't be saved because of Clint Poppy. You can't be saved because of Adam Moline. You can't be saved by, insert your own name here. Uh, the only way that you can be saved is by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is your only hope. And um, that's really key, again, for you to keep in mind and to remember. Recently, the uh, Pope with his official Twitter feed, Blue Checkmark, sent out a very, very short little video. It was only about two minutes long, but it showed a Roman Catholic praying. It showed a Muslim praying, and it showed a Jew praying. And the message was that we should be united together as one, and that prayer unites us. Pastor, um, is that the same kind of a confession that we read here in Acts 4, verse 12? Um, it, it is not. I, I don't know how to say it in the appropriate way. The, the idea that uh, all the faiths worship one God in different ways that uh, that video put forward is... Uh, absolutely untrue, and I don't think any serious adherent to any of those faiths believes that. Um, and so why is it being promoted? Um, it's being promoted for the sake of a worldly unity that completely denies the afterlife and the thing we're actually striving and hoping for, which is the world that is to come. And uh, I, I think the Pope ought to repent of that, and so I, I publicly call for him to repent of that uh, and to denounce that video and to speak it as not true um, for the sake of Christians all around the world. Um, and uh, I didn't want to put you on the spot with that, Pastor, but uh, I know that's something we've been talking about the last, the last few days. It is, uh, it is shameful, it is egregious, it is blasphemous, and uh, thankfully many, many people in the Roman Catholic Church have also called for the Pope to repent of that video. And uh, those kind of attempts at an outward peace uh, 
at some kind of a brotherhood or fellowship that is apart from the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ is a false peace. It is a fake peace. And there is only one true peace that is the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that comes from the Prince of Peace who laid down his life and picked it back up again three days later. Forgiveness, life, and salvation is in Jesus and only in Jesus. And uh, may God bless us that we are not ashamed to speak that bold truth here on this radio program and for all of us who yeah. are hearing to uh, to speak that throughout our life. And if the Pope really believes what he put forward in that, he should resign and step aside. Amen. Amen. All right, we need to take a break. We're looking at the Confession of St. Peter. When we come back, we're going to look at 2 Peter 1, 1, or 2 Peter 1, 1 to 15. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at the Confession of St. Peter. The church celebrates that Confession of St. Peter, the Minor Festival, commemorating that on January 18. The uh, bumper music that you've been hearing and you hear most of the Majoring in the Minoring programs is LSB 517 and 518, a wonderful, wonderful hymn that has a verse dedicated to each one of these minor festivals. Today we're looking at the Confession of St. Peter. In our first two segments, we looked at the Gospel reading, Mark 8, 27 through 9, verse 1. In our third segment, we looked at the first reading, Acts 4, 8 to 13. And now we're going to look at the writings of Peter. And uh, I don't know, it's almost kind of curious. We have Second Peter 1, 1 to 15 as the appointed epistle reading. Pastor, do you want to share those words, please? Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this is the very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue and knowledge, 
and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, through though you know them and are established in the true faith that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by, any, by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will soon come, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Okay. Long text, a lot of stuff here. I uh, don't want to get bogged down on the uh, minor technicalities of this particular text. The uh, verse 1, Peter identifies himself as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Isn't that an amazing thing for St. Peter, the first pope, to say? Yes, <laughs> by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We could spend this entire segment, Pastor, talking about the importance of that verse. Why, why is it significant that Peter would highlight this, uh, this same standing between all Christians? Yeah, and maybe the thing to say is, what is that standing? And, and it's this, that we are all sinners who are justified freely by the, the work of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. That righteousness and that righteousness alone is why we get to enter into God's eternal kingdom. Uh, that's the righteousness that he spoke of there in that particular verse. It's important because uh, so many people today want to elevate Peter as more holy or is in a more important position or even uh, to create a fake office, the office of the papacy um, that that is more important than the average Christian. And Peter himself, who um, by all rights is the first one of those popes, um, says, no, that's not the case. We're all on the same page. We're all sinners. We're all forgiven by Christ. And that's the only thing we ought to count. And so we're all, Paul says it differently. He says, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. Uh, we're all Christians. And that's the same thing Peter's saying here. It's, uh, it's important that... Uh we all have equal standing in the church. And, and again, human organizations can come up with all kinds of human arrangements, but one pastor is not more of a pastor than another pastor. One Christian is not more of a Christian than another Christian. One pastor is not more of a Christian than another Christian. And the Lutheran confessions beautifully spell this out. By human arrangement, we're free to come up with any uh, hierarchy that we want to, but we need to make it clear that this is by human arrangement, not by divine. And, and that's key, and, and there's a reason then to make up the uh, human um, 
structure, and that's, you know, for just the sake of good order uh, so that things get done. That's why you pick someone to shovel the sidewalks when it snows and another person to change the light bulb when it goes out. Um, it's human arrangement, and everything gets done and accomplished that way. Uh, you need a few leaders to do things, but it is not that one is more holy or more righteous or anything like that. On that page, we are all equal. Peter goes on uh, and he talks. I didn't count up how many times he uses the word knowledge, but it is several times in this text where he's talking about the knowledge of God, knowing God. Remember in our uh, gospel reading, uh, who do you, who do the other people say that I am? Jesus asks. Who do you say that I am? So we're talking about a knowledge that is uh, a basic part of Christianity. But then he goes on to teach us that Christianity is not some sort of a mental exercise only, that how you live your life is a key component, a key aspect, a key fruit of knowing who Christ is. And uh, he talks in verse 5, let's see here, verse 5, for this very reason, make every reason to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness. He goes on a long laundry list of Christian virtues. Now, when he says supplement your faith, is he teaching us that our faith is not enough and that it is faith plus virtue or faith plus good works that saves us? How are we to understand what the Holy Spirit through Peter is teaching us, Pastor? Well, I'd even say uh, earlier when you're talking about the knowledge of God, I'd say that is faith itself. And so he starts with faith because faith is the key linchpin, and it is a gift of God distributed by the Holy Spirit through the Word and through the sacraments, and that's why you're Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are used the same way. Now, and what he's saying is that uh, faith um, doesn't just isn't something internal, and it's just between you and God. Faith is active and alive; it bears fruit, and that's what he's talking about with all the rest of these things. Uh, that faith um, defines who you are, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, I think, when we talked about um, not being afraid uh, of a martyrdom in this world, or I don't remember exactly how we talked about it. Um, when we are a Christian, it changes who we are because all of a sudden we act differently. We don't love the world and wealth and fame and power. We love God instead who has first loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sin. And so it changes who we are, and that's the sort of things that uh, Peter is talking about. Because we're a Christian, we have self-control. That means we don't just do Uh, things on the spur of the moment, you know, like find somebody in a bar and go home with them and then find another person the next night. Uh, We have um, steadfastness. We stick to the truth and we go to church regularly and we don't let anything take us away from that. Um, You know, godliness, right? We we behave appropriately in the world. We don't act like uh, pagans and heathens running around and, uh, you know, becoming inebriated and running people over at night. We, we have a certain way that we act as a result of the faith that has been given to us. Peter says that, you know, he knows he's not going to live forever. Uh, he knows he's going to die. And that in the time that he has, he's going to continually remind his hearers, of these basic truths. 
Why is that important for us? Uh, Peter wasn't consumed with uh, building a name and a legacy for himself, but conveying the truths of God to the people of God. Why is that important for us to remember with regard to the person Peter and also for the role of pastors or Christians in the church today? Well, um, you know, Peter was told, as he says himself, that he would be uh, killed for the faith. And yet, uh, even all the way up until that happens, his life is dedicated to preaching Christ crucified so that um, we can have eternity with each other uh, and with God, more importantly, I'd say. And that's what Peter's main job is. That's what Christ sent him to do. And he's going to be dedicated to that as a result of the faith that God has given him uh, as long as necessary. And for pastors today when they preach, why is that important to keep that in mind? Well, um, we're not here to serve ourselves. Um, We're not here to make a name for ourselves or to build a multimedia empire uh, with our face (laughs) in every shelf at the bookstore. Our YouTube empire is uh, is not why we're here, Pastor? (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, we can delete it tomorrow, and uh, that would be just fine. There'd be nothing wrong with that. Um, What's the reason that we have it? It's not so that... Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline become famous. Um, Rather, we have it to take God's Word out to people and to make it accessible to people and to bring them the message of Jesus Christ so that they would look to Christ rather than to us. The the gradual that is uh, appointed for the confession of St. Peter, I think, really sums up everything that we've talked about in our program today very, very well. What we proclaim is not ourselves— but Jesus Christ as Lord. We also believe, and so we also speak, as one who speaks oracles of God. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Pastor, would you uh, be so kind as to bring things to a close today by praying the collect of the day for the confession of St. Peter? Heavenly Father, you revealed to the Apostle Peter the blessed truth that your Son, Jesus, is the Christ. Strengthen us by the proclamation of this truth that we too may joyfully confess that there is salvation in no one else through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, where we examine the Confession of St. Peter, January 18. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again soon.